0: Who in here, before we started this series, did not know there was seven different baptisms in the Bible? Okay, good. <laughs> Who in here does know that now? <laughs> That's good. Okay. That's what we're trying to teach, okay? And you might say, well, what's the point? What's the, you know, what big, what's the big deal? Well, number one, we have a command from God in 2 Timothy 2.15 to study, to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, and when you come to the word of truth, there are things in it that need to be separated from one another. And if you make every baptism the same, you're going to end up with false doctrine, Let yesterday on the street. <laughs> right at the end of our, our uh, time, ran into a Church of Christ guy who wanted to talk to me about how baptism was necessary for salvation. And what's he doing? He's going to every baptism that is dealing with the baptism by the Spirit into Christ and saying that that's water baptism. You need to be baptized to get into Christ. You need to be baptized to have your sins washed away. And, uh, and he's going to all the places that say water and making that baptism. This is why we're doing this study, so that you can look at your Bible and understand, ask yourself the questions, which baptism is this? Who is doing the baptism? Baptism? Who is it for? What are they being baptized into? Not every, baptism, not every baptism is with water. As a matter of fact, only two of them are. <laughs> Well, technically three, but, um, so, you know, it. now, I'm not going to convince that gentleman yesterday, I'm not going to convince him of the truth of the scripture, he's very steeped in what he believes, but the important thing is that he's not going to convince me of that false doctrine, and you should not be able to be convinced either of false doctrine because you're not aware of certain things and how to rightly divide them in the Bible, that's why we do a study of the Bible. We need to be able to rightly divide the word of truth so that we don't get pulled into false doctrine, so that we understand our Bible correctly and we can use it correctly to help us in our daily lives and not get pulled aside, like Paul says, with every wind of doctrine. Oh, here's this new thing coming along. New, you know, it's never new, but, and and it sounds really good, and they're using these verses to tell you why this is true, and you don't understand how to rightly divide your Bible, and you say, that sounds really good, and you go off into some heresy or some false doctrine or some false teaching it makes you ineffective for the Lord because you're getting tied up with things that God has nothing, didn't have us to do. Our main goal, main purpose in this life once you're saved is to represent God the Father, Lord Jesus Christ correctly by a holy life and ultimately by that representation to lead people to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our job is evangelism That's it, okay? Now, I know there's all sorts of subcategories to that that help us attain that goal. That's what we're here for. That's what we're here for, to tell people about the wonderful grace of Jesus that you received, that I received, and um, it's important to know your Bible because some cult is going to come up and say, well, what about this? You're teaching this wrong. What about this? And you need to know how to answer them. Not for them. You're not going to convince them. Rarely, rarely you're going to convince one of these cults that they're wrong but it needs for you for your stability for my stability so that I'm grounded in the word of God and in the truth of the word of God rightly dividing it All right you, you would I've said it before you would be shocked to know how many baptists have gotten pulled into Jehovah's witness mormons other things like that because they don't they didn't they weren't taught their bible they didn't get into their bible they didn't learn it and uh, didn't rightly really divide it. So it's important that we study these things. I know we've kind of been diving pretty deep um, for some of you, and, um, you know, it's not that it's, <clears throat> it's not easy, it's difficult, but the Bible says much study is a weariness to the flesh. <laughs> it's a fact of life. But the rewards are good. So, all right, so, um, so we're going to finish up hopefully today. Okay, we're going to try to finish up today with the, the, the last two baptisms. So if you'll turn your Bibles. I have the wrong one in my hand. Oh, don't tell me that I didn't get the right outline with me. (laughs) Oh, boy, hold on. Excellent, what did I do with it? I might need to borrow one of those outlines, Lydia. I had it in here this morning. Yeah, let me get one of those. All right, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Oh, there it is. Look at that. It was where it needed to be. Uh, Don't you hate that when you look for something and it's right where you need it to be? Okay. (laughs) Matthew 28, Matthew 28. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Matthew 28. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, please help me today as I teach this. Lord, I just pray that this would be profitable to these folks and help them to just I know there's a lot of material and a lot of stuff that to, to digest and to take in, but just pray that some part of it, whether or not everybody understands all of it, help them to get some part of it to understand and more uh, uh, be able to better understand their, their Bible and to be able to rightly divide the scriptures a little better today than they have in the, maybe in the past. And so we just pray that you guide, Lord, as, the, as a song, the words of that song say, all is vain unless the spirit of the Holy One comes down. Lord, we can't do anything without your spirit here. He's the one that guides us into all truth in these scriptures. He's the author of this book. He's the one that gives us understanding of this book. And and Lord, he's the one that will convict our hearts of what we need to know and learn and change. And so I just pray that your Holy Spirit would be with us today and just guide my words so that they're appropriate and correct and understandable. And I just pray that you bless this time we have in your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 28. Today, we're going to try to deal with the last two baptisms, okay? Um... We've talked about the baptism by John the Baptist for Israel. We've talked about the baptism with the Holy Ghost, a visible manifestation of the indwelling Holy Spirit coming into a believer. We've talked about the baptism of fire, baptism for unbelievers who are cast into a lake of fire. We've talked about the baptism of suffering that both Christ and the disciples participated in and uh, we will as well um, if we live for Christ. And we talked about the baptism, last one we talked about, we spent a lot of weeks on this one, the baptism by the Spirit of God into Christ, the body of Christ, you are placed, if, you're, if you've trusted Christ, you are placed into Christ, and uh, you have uh, so many things accounted um, to you because of that uh, being put into Christ, being baptized into Christ, okay? All right, today we're going to talk about baptism number six, the believer's water baptism. And Matthew 28, we're going to start with this, Matthew 28, verse 19. Right before Jesus Christ ascends back to the Father, he tells his disciples in Matthew 28, 19, this is the command for this baptism. He says, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, which is interesting, by the way, that it says the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, not the names which there is another proof of the uh, uh, triune God, the Godhead and uh, the deity of Christ in there and the deity of the Holy Spirit, the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Ghost, not the names. All right, side note. But anyways, good to know. It's, it's a good Trinity verse, good Godhead verse there. All right, so the command by Jesus Christ, when he leaves, one of the last commands he gives is to go and teach all nations and to go baptize them, okay? This is, now, this is a New Testament command, why is that important? Well, first of all, when does the New Testament begin? Yes, at the death of the testator, right at the death of Jesus Christ, Hebrews 9:15 15, 15 I think. Hebrews 9 tells you that it's when Christ dies, the New Testament begins. Everything up to that point is Old Testament. John's baptism is Old Testament. So um, there are some, there's a whole litany of beliefs about what we call believer's baptism. It spans from one end to the other about ideas about this. One of the things is that it's not for the church. It's for uh, Israel like John's baptism was. Well, this is a New Testament command. It's after the, the death of Christ, and so it makes it distinct from John's baptism. Plus, if you look over in Acts chapter 19, do you remember Paul finds a couple of disciples that were baptized with John's baptism? And they'd never believed on Jesus Christ. And he says, what did you believe on? And they didn't know. So he uh, testifies to them the gospel of Jesus Christ and baptizes them again in the name of Jesus Christ. Because it's not the same. <laughs> it's not the same, all right? So this is not an Old Testament thing. It's, it's, uh, it's a New Testament thing, okay? So this is a New Testament command, and it makes it distinct from John's baptism. And um, just to, to further explain on that, people that say it's just for Jewish you know, and I, I get it, there's, there's some things, you know, that look, especially in the beginning of Acts, we're going to talk about this a little bit, beginning of Acts looks, it's very Jewish, Christ, uh, God's dealing, the disciples are dealing with that nation initially, the Bible says the gospel is to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, and so you're dealing very, very Jewish audience in the beginning of Acts, and some people will take that to the nth degree and say, well, this baptism is for, just for a Jewish audience, it's not, look at verse 19, go ye therefore and teach all nations, all right, so it's 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 not just Jewish, right? And you know, if you don't know about these little things, that's fine. Um, it's it's not a big big deal. You know, people have different ideas about things. Um, but um, just to, just to clarify, this baptism, the command to baptize, is uh, is for New Testament and it's um, for all nations. It's for everybody. Okay, so the command is New Testament. The command is for all nations. What's what about the letter B? The practice of it. All right, turn to the Book of Acts. Now. This is where the, the gentleman yesterday, one of the f- verses he ran to right away was Acts 2.38, which is a trickily worded verse. Um, and there's a lot of things that um, seem to, uh, if, you don't, if you don't read it correctly, it'll, it'll end up uh, sounding like you need to be baptized to be saved, okay? Uh, it's not what it says. But Acts, the book of Acts, is um, one of those books that you need to be careful in because it's transitional in nature. You have just come out of an Old Testament economy and that's what everybody knows. And Christ has now died and been buried and risen again and he is the final one and only sacrifice for sins now. You don't need the the Old Testament sacrifices. But that takes time to communicate to a world that doesn't have telephone or TV or internet or radio or anything like that. It takes time to propagate that. And so the book of Acts, you're seeing... Discussions of all. Well, do we have to to keep the law? Do we have to do this? What do we? What do the Gentiles have to do? Do they have to keep the law? Do they have to be circumcised? What are they supposed to do? Is this is essential for salvation? That's why pulling doctrine for the New Testament church out of Acts is very dangerous. You need to understand they are transitioning from Old Testament to New Testament, and even the the apostles' understanding is not fully complete yet until you get about Acts fifteen. All right. And then you see it, like I said, mentioned in Acts 19. You have disciples of John the Baptist that haven't heard of Christ yet, and they have to be explained what's going on. So, transitional. So, the reason I say that is this when we talk about the practice of believers' baptism, um, everybody wants to find a a pattern, and what is is the pattern of how it's done? It's very difficult to do. Um, It's very difficult. I put in that letter point one there the book of Acts is a tricky book to get church age doctrine from, as it is transitional trying to find a pattern of things can prove to be difficult okay but one thing that we can see pretty much as a consistent pattern in the book of acts is that is this nobody in the book of acts got baptized before they believed on Christ and why is that because there's no point in baptizing before you believe on Christ and we'll talk about why that is in a second look at a couple of verses with me here acts chapter 2 verse 41 we are talking about a water baptism. We'll get into the details about that later, but we're talking about a water baptism um, of believers here. Peter's just preached at Pentecost to a, a bunch of Jews and uh, Jewish people from all over the world that have gathered together for the feast of Pentecost. In verse, after he preaches, they ask what to do, and he says, Repent. Um, and uh, look at verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, right? What happened first? They They received the word. They believed, okay? In fact, John chapter 1, verse 14 tells you that to receive it is to believe it, all right? Um, So they received the word. They believed what Peter was preaching about Christ, and then they were baptized, okay? So look at Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. And let me just say this, too. I'm going to teach this baptism as it is found in the scriptures. I'm not going to rehearse talking points of religions and denominations just because that's what's commonly held. I'm going to talk about what's in the scriptures, and I'm not going to say things that are not in the scriptures, okay? Um, so we're going to see just what the scriptures say and not what we, we want them to teach. All right, uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 41, and then Acts chapter 8, verse 12. Look at this. Philip goes down to Samaria, and he says this. But when they believed Philip, when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. And you look and see there's a man there in verse 13 as well. Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip. So again, uh, the belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the belief about the things of the kingdom of God, that belief precedes this water baptism. I know this is probably well known to most of you, but let's just, let's just let's make, make sure we have this down, down pat, okay? All right. Uh, Acts chapter 9. We have the conversion of Paul. Now, I believe, most likely... Paul's conversion was at the point of verse um, 6. Okay, when, when verse 4, when Paul falls to the earth, he hears a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why percus- persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? Now, at that point, he could, it, maybe it's significant, maybe it's not, but I think it is that the, the Lord comes at the end of his sentence. He knows that whoever this is, is, has the power to knock him down on the road and blind him. But he doesn't know who it is yet. So he says, Lord. All right? There's lots of Lord. We talked about this last week. There's lots of Lords. There's kings. There's the governors. There's, there's all sorts of things. So he, and someone who is more powerful than you, call him Lord. Okay? So he says, okay, whoever you are, um, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said unto him, said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Now he knows who he is. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, what does he say first this time? Lord. Verse 6. Did, you, did I lose you guys? Verse 6? Acts 9, verse 6. In verse, in verse uh, 5, he leaves Lord at the end of the sentence. In verse 6, he says, and trembling, and he, trembling and astonished, says, Lord. Who did he just call Lord? Jesus. Who has he been persecuting? Jesus. So he's, had, he's just changed his mind about who Jesus is right here, okay? So I believe that's the point of conversion for Paul. And he trembling and astonished, says, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do, okay? And so he, he goes into Damascus, and he's blind for three days. And uh, look at uh, verse 17. God sends Ananias to him, and he says, Ananias went to his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes that it has been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. Okay, so Ananias tells him, uh you saw Jesus, I believe he believed on Christ there in verse six, and he says you're going to receive the Holy Ghost when I lay hands on you. Now, which by the way, just a side note, that's another thing to note in the you know, there's some denomination denominations that say, well you can't have to get the Holy Spirit until you have hands laid on you. You can't find that pattern in Acts. Sometimes they lay hands on them. Sometimes they just, bang, get the Holy Ghost as soon as they believe. Sometimes it's afterwards. There's no pattern, okay? The book's transitional. Things are changing. When there's a Jew present, God does something visible to prove it with signs and wonders. And when it's mostly Gentiles, it's not always the case, all right? There's no pattern there um, for the receiving the Holy Ghost in the book of Acts. Um, but one thing is for certain, if you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit of God, all right? That's what's necessary. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll, you're going to get all the benefits that go with that, okay? Thou shalt be saved. That's the Holy Spirit. That's eternal security. That's, you know, the spiritual circumcision. That's uh, sonship with the Father, all that stuff. All right, so Paul, Paul has received the Holy Ghost, and it says in verse 19, And when he had received meat, he was strengthened, then was, uh, I missed it, verse 18, excuse me, and immediately there fell from his eyes as as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized, all right, after he receives the Holy Ghost, which can only be done by belief of the Lord Jesus Christ, all right, look look, look at one more, Acts chapter 10. So you had um, Samaritans in Acts chapter 8, you had, um, those are half Jewish, half Gentile, you have Paul who's full blood Jewish in acts chapter 9 you have Jewish Jews and proselytes from every nation under heaven in acts chapter 2 and then in acts chapter 10 you have someone who's full Gentile he's not of the nation of Israel God's chosen people and Peter goes and preaches the word of God unto them he preaches the gospel and while he's telling them about Jesus Christ let's let's pick it up in verse 43 Peter is wrapping up his message about what Christ did he was he was it's the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. He was, buried, he was, he was, he was crucified, he, he was buried and risen again. He tells them that. Verse 43, he says this to him, to Jesus Christ, give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever, what? Believeth on in him shall receive remission of sins. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. Why did that happen? Because They believed. Because they believed, all right? You know, and I, I'm not trying to stir the pot here, but no prayer. As soon as in their heart, they believed the gospel. Immediately, the Holy Spirit was given to them, okay? All right, so while, uh, verse 44, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision, those are the Jews that are with him, which believed were astonished. As many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. See, they were thinking that this was just for them, for their Jewish nation. And and right, you know, why wouldn't they think that? Up until now, God has only dealt with the the, the nation of Israel. Why wouldn't they think that? But now they're seeing a Gentile and his all his family receive the Holy Ghost, and the the evidence was there for a Jew, for the Jews. Okay, look at this. Why was it evident with with, with, with for them? Because they were Jewish believers that were had not yet been confirmed that Gentiles could be saved. Um, they, see the, uh, they were astonished because the, um, the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost, verse 46, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. That's, that, that sign of tongues right there is for the Jewish believers in verse 45. They had not yet been confirmed by the Lord that the Gentiles could receive the Holy Spirit. They needed a sign. Jews need a sign, at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The Jews require a sign, okay? That's why the, those, the Gentiles speak with tongues in that passage. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God, verse 47. Well, Then answered Peter, verse 47, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? In other words, a rhetorical question. Hey, how are you going to not let these folks get baptized? They've received the Holy Ghost. We've received the Holy Ghost. What's, what's stopping them, okay? Verse 48, and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, and They prayed him to tarry certain days. All right, turn back to chapter 8. Now, um, so when you see people baptized in the the book of Acts, it's with water. We're going to see that in a second. Confirm that. It's after they have believed and received the Holy Ghost. Now, the gentleman I was talking to yesterday, I said, tell me, if I don't get water baptized, am I going to hell? And he said, yes. (laughs) And that's what they believe, Okay. Now, according to the book of Acts, every time we see this, they have already received the Holy Ghost before they got baptized. That water baptism doesn't do anything for them spiritually. They've already got the Holy Ghost. They've already believed. All right? Um, and, and, you know, we, we touched on some of the verses that they misconstrued last few weeks, but um, I don't want to deal with that. It just gets, we'll get bogged down with that. But it's, it's preceded by beliefs. This water baptism is preceded by belief, okay? Now look at Acts chapter 8. And let's look at verse uh, 35. Now we have another Gentile, but he's a proselyte to Israel. He's a, he's a Jew as a proselyte. He's, been, he's a Gentile, he's an Ethiopian, but he's practicing as a Jewish believer in the Jewish religion. Philip, God tells Philip to go talk to him. He opens up the scriptures, preaches unto him Jesus, and look at verse, uh, well, let's start, let's start in verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth, Acts 8.35. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And that's exactly where you need to head with every person you witness to. Okay? You don't need to get all hung up with evolution versus creation. Where did Cain get his wife? All this other nonsense. Was there really a, a, a worldwide flood? You know, we know the truth of all those things. What's the point? Get to the cross. Get to Jesus Christ. Preach unto him Jesus. Alright? That's the point. That's what they need to hear. If they get an understanding of all those other things in the Bible and don't receive Jesus Christ, they're lost. Get to to Jesus Christ. Preach unto them Jesus. Alright? So that's what Philip does to this Ethiopian eunuch here. In verse 36 it says, And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See? Here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? In other words, what's keeping me from being baptized? Look at Philip's answer. Now, I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad here, but if you do not have a King James Bible, this next verse is not in your Bible. So if you don't have a King James Bible, pull the one out of the pew and look at Acts 8.37. And Philip said, well, here's the question. What's the question? What's keeping me from being baptized? Philip says this. And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. He makes it a a prerequisite before getting baptized. Do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ first? Why is that? Because the baptism has nothing to do with the salvation. All right? uh, In the letter B, Philip firmly requires to know that the eunuch has believed before he will baptize him. All right? Before he baptizes him, the eunuch has to believe. All right, so Philip says in verse 37, if thou thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And look at this. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. There is no person baptized with water before they believed in Jesus Christ in the book of Acts, all right? Um, It doesn't happen. It's because it's not part of salvation. It's a... We're going to talk about what the purpose is in a second here, but it's uh, belief in the receiving the Holy Spirit has to come first. It has to come first. All right, now, if belief is required to be water baptized, then this excludes the baptism of infants. So I'm not trying to be nasty, but how do you have a church that baptizes babies when the bible is clear that every person that got water baptized believed first it's something that it's, it's a doctrine of men like christ says you teach for doctrines the tradition of men it's not in there you cannot have an infant cannot possibly understand or believe on jesus christ There has to come a point in time where they can be lucid enough and and cognizant enough to understand the gospel, that Christ died for their sins, was buried, and rose again. So that excludes infants, okay? Got to believe first. All right, what's the method? Stay right here in this passage. What's the method of water baptism? Now, we talked about this from the very start of our, our, our lesson. The word baptize, its etymology comes from the word to immerse. To submerge. Every baptism you see in your in your in your in the scriptures, of all the seven, they all have to do with being submerged or immersed into something. It's not always water, but you're immersed or submerged into something, okay? Um, John's baptism was obviously immersion into water. A baptism of fire is immersion into fire. A baptism of suffering is immersion into suffering. You know, I use the term quotes kind of figurative there. All right? Um, the baptism into Christ is an immersion into a body. It's into Christ. It's, you're with, we're within Christ. It's always some kind of immersion into, okay? Look at Acts chapter 8. The Ethiopian eunuch has just testified that he believes on Jesus Christ, and Philip's okay. I'm not going to baptize you unless you do, but now that he's made that testimony, profession, um, this is exactly, by the way, what Romans uh, 10 says, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The Ethiopian has already believed, but he has now confessed to P- Philip. He's made a confession of it, okay? So, he, so now Philip, can, Philip knows from, that he has, okay? So, so he confesses that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, verse 38, and he commanded the f- chariot to stand still, and they went, what's that word? Down, what's the next word? Both into the water. Now why would Philip need to go down into the water with the eunuch? Because you cannot submerge somebody in water unless you're there with them. All right, right in there with them, okay? They're down in the water, okay? So it says both Philip and the eunuch and he baptized him, okay? And this would obviously match the meaning of the word baptized, to baptize, to immerse. You have to go down into the water. And so here's another thing (laughs) that this brings up. If baptism is immersion by going down into the water, this excludes the other modes of baptism, like sprinkling and pouring, okay? It, It does not even match the definition of the word, much less the method practiced in the Bible. Um Yeah. <laughs> enough <said. laughs> exactly, enough said, okay? It, and, we'll, and, and actually, in the next, the next point, the purpose, which is letter D, the purpose, the purpose um, is going to tell you why it has to be immersion, OK? <clears throat> what is the purpose? Okay, I'm going to be totally honest with you. I, I, I would like to say, this is what the Bible says, the purpose of it is. It really is not stated. It's really not stated. Why do we do this? It was commanded to, for us to do it by Christ. The mode is very clear. When it happens, is very clear. And there's just, I'm just to be honest with you. If, if someone can show me in the scriptures where it's very clear why we do this, fine. But um, I think by inference, we can understand why we do this, okay? Um, number one, you think of all those people in the book of Acts. There's thousands of them there in uh, Acts chapter 2 that have come to Jerusalem for this feast, and they re- 3,000 people receive Christ, and they're all baptized. That's a public thing. You don't, you don't baptize 3,000 people in private, <laughs> okay? Um, Philip, you say, well, what about this one with Philip and the eunuch? Um, you know, the eunuch's traveling back to Ethiopia. Do you think he's traveling alone? He's, in char- he's, a, he's got the charge of the, uh, the queen of Ethiopia's treasure. You think he's alone? You better be sure he's got an entourage with him of all the servants and the people that are there to take care of everything. There's a crowd there with the Ethiopian. He publicly gets baptized. Uh, uh, Cornelius' family, that we read in chapter, chapter 10 of the book of Acts, his whole family's there. They all get baptized. It's public. It's um, public baptism is a public thing all right. why is that? because it's a public testimony of the previous baptism we just talked about we just talked about uh, the baptism by the spirit of God into Christ when you trust Christ God takes you, you're a child of the devil you're uh, um, outside of Christ the Bible says without Christ he takes you and puts you into Christ and you get credited with having been crucified with Christ buried and risen again you weren't I wasn't, but I get credited with that. I get put into Christ. And when I get put into Christ, I get credited as if I have died with Christ, buried, and risen again. Now, when that happened to you and I, if you've trusted Jesus Christ, you've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, that happened to you. You were baptized into Christ. You were placed into the body of Christ. You were eternally secure. You were accounted for the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ to you, even though it wasn't you, because you're in Christ, it's accounted to you. Who can see that? Who, saw, who can see the fact that you're put into Christ? That's the only one that knows. It's not a visible thing. But if you take somebody and say, this man has already believed, and you put him into the water and say, this is a picture of what happened to him. He got put into Christ and was buried with Christ. We saw that in Romans chapter 6. You're buried with him by baptism into Christ. Buried with Christ, wherein also you're risen with him. Romans chapter 6 and Colossians chapter 2. That water baptism, what do you do? You submerge the person. Do you notice how you submerge them typically? You lay them back, like when you're buried, like when you die. That's what happened to you and I in Christ. You got accounted for the death of Christ for your sins. Dead. We're going to talk about this hopefully in the future when we talk about Romans 6, 7, and 8. How this all applies. You were counted as dead having died for your sins. You didn't stay there. Christ rises from the dead and you and I also have risen with him. Do you know what you have right now if you're saved? You have. You're not going to get it. You have eternal life. You have it now. You have risen with Christ. How many more times is Christ going to die? Knowing that Christ, being risen from the dead, dieth no more, I think Paul says, neither will you. Now this flesh is going to die, but you and I are going to live forever. We have eternal life. So what what's going on here? It's a public. This water baptism, post belief, post receiving the Holy Spirit, is a public demonstration of what has happened to you and I spiritually. I got buried with Christ. My sins were paid for by Christ, not by the water and not by me. But I got buried with Christ and I got raised again with Christ into newness of life, into eternal life. I, I, there, I cannot know if you're saved or not. I can go by your testimony, by your profession, but I don't know your heart. But what, 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 do, what needs to happen? What, what did the Ethiopian eunuch do? He testified to Philip, I believe. There needs to be some sort of outward manifestation testimony that you have trusted Christ. And that's what this baptism is. Recall that our baptism, number one, it's a public testimony of our baptism into Christ. Recall that our baptism into Christ credits us with having been buried and also risen with Christ. And so the demonstration in the water is buried and risen again. New Testament water baptism shows this by immersion into the water, which is a picture of burial, and emergence out of the water, which is a picture of resurrection, this is why it has to be by immersion. Sprinkling does not illustrate what happened to you. When you bury somebody, you don't sprinkle dirt on their face. You put them six feet under and submerge them in earth. That's why water baptism has to be by immersion because it's picturing your burial with Christ and your resurrection with him again. It is a picture of burial and resurrection. And like I've said, i already said, but let us see, it's a visible picture of what has spiritually happened to us at salvation. All right? That's all it is. It's a demonstration of what's already happened to you. It's not giving you saving grace. As the Church of Christ says, there's no blood in the water that that washes your sins away. It's it's nothing else other than a, a visible picture of what has happened to you and I spiritually. It's a testimony to this world of what's going on in you. What happened to you when you received Jesus Christ? You were buried with Christ and you were raised again in newness of life. And uh, it's, it, that's the only way to demonstrate a spiritual thing. You've got to give it, you've got to get a picture, okay? Christ did that very often with his disciples. Gave them an illustration to illustrate something spiritual, all right? And that's the only way we could see something like that. All right, I'm, I thought I was going to get through this today and I'm already late. Last verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Whew, sorry. I guess we're going to do the last one next week. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Wow, I'm really going late. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. right, just just to nail this part down, okay? So, the water baptism is by immersion. It's for people who have already believed and received the Holy Spirit of God. It's a picture of what has spiritually happened. It's a picture of that baptism by the Spirit into Christ. You're demonstrating what has spiritually happened to you. You got buried with Christ. You got raised with Christ. Is that? Am I losing anybody with that point? Does everybody understand that? Does anybody not understand that? It's the picture of that. Okay. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 13. Paul writes this. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanas, beside... Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. Paul's dealing with this whole thing where I'm of Paul, I'm of of Cephas, I'm of Christ. And he's like, this has nothing to do with anything. Baptism, he's like, I baptized some of you, but what difference does it make? Um, But he says this, he says, besides, I know not whether I baptized any other in verse 16. Look at verse 17. For Christ sent me not to baptize what he sent him to do, but to preach the gospel, which immediately contrasts what the gospel is with baptism. Baptism is not part of the gospel. If Christ sent him to preach the gospel, but not to baptize, then baptism has nothing to do with the gospel. It's a post-belief thing. Paul says, I'm not going out to try to find people to baptize. I'm going out to preach the gospel. Did I baptize some people? Yes. But the point is to preach the gospel. What What did Philip do with the Ethiopian eunuch? Preach to him Jesus. He didn't say, hey, Ethiopian eunuch, you need to get baptized. No, it was... Preach the gospel. Do you believe? Okay, now you can get baptized. And that water baptism, the the Ethiopian testifies to that whole entourage that's with him and to Philip. This is what just happened to me. I got buried with Christ. I was risen again in newness of life, eternal life, and it's a picture in water of what has happened to you in Christ. All right? Um, I did not think that was going to take this long. Any last questions before we go? Statements? Statements? Yep. We take the scriptural pattern as best we can see it, and we practice it that way, okay? It's a public declaration of what has spiritually happened to a believer. That's it. Yes, sir? So, so in uh, Acts 238, I'm not sure what like, you said there that that was you know, in the early part of Acts, it's more applied to the I'll, I'll, yeah, I, I'll i I can talk to you offline on that one, yeah. But, but no, it, every one of those baptisms is Still, even that one is preceded by belief.